I, I realized that I've actually done the New Year's uh, sermon a few times, including a couple years ago. So I don't know why that is, but I'm quite uh, fortunate to, to do so. But you know what? If you reflect a lot on the world, you can become quite depressed. I mean, for goodness sakes. I was looking at the population uh, exponential growth graph. I've, I'm sure you've seen it. For those of you that are a little more removed than, say, my children from, from uh, education, exponential growth is one of those graphs that comes along like this and then goes like this and shoots straight up, right? So let's see. About 1,800 on my little graph here. We finally hit a billion people in the world. So prior to that, in all of recorded history, it's estimated there was never a billion people on the earth. And then at 1,800-ish, we hit that. By 1,900, we doubled it. So in 100 years, we doubled the population of the earth. By the year 2000, we hit 6.5 billion people. And we're rapidly approaching 8 that is incredible. So there are several solutions to this. My personal favorite involves lemmings, but I'll let you figure that out. We are rapidly outgrowing the Earth's ability to sustain itself. We're fortunate here in Creston to be shielded from the worst of this. We live in one of the least populous countries in the world, uh, one that still shows God's gracious hand on creation and doesn't show all the effects of the pest that I like to call human beings. We don't see the worst of it, and yet still, through global media, we're exposed to it. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Were it not for the 1970s food revolution that most of us hate because the big corporations began to do monoculture across the world, we wouldn't have enough food now. So berate them all you will and grow heritage seeds. I'm all for that. I think it's important to maintain biodiversity. But if it wasn't for them... Most of the world would be starving right now. And that's only 30 or 40 years ago. World trade has made it so interconnected that any major transportation uh, problem is going to shut down our food supply very, very quickly. Last year in January, we had the headline um, during the blizzard in New York that said, the, the empty grocery stores, what are we going to buy? Where do you shop in New York and Boston when we only have about three days' supply in the grocery stores? That was last year. I think most of you were fortunately sheltered from the worst of the terror of what Ebola was this last year. As a healthcare worker, we were busy learning to don and doff in such a way that you would not be exposed to Ebola. It involved about 15 minutes of putting things on and off with somebody watching you and telling you what you were doing wrong so that you might expose yourself. The truth of the matter is that had we had any significant breakout of infected cases outside of the African area that they were contained in, probably our world would look very different right now. That's one episode. Bioterrorism is terrifying. One of our last uh, lectures in medical school was on what to do as medical professionals if bioterrorism is used. As I tell my wife when I talk about the sulfuric acid that goes past our place in train cars all the time, if you see it wreck, 
Might as well sit down and relax. You're not going to be able to outrun it. And that's the truth of bioterrorism. It's so easy right now to cause massive destruction with very little education, very little money, very little imagination. And of course, there's the fact of global warming. Top 10 years on record I have in front of me here. So with the exception of 1998, which was the fourth warmest year on record ever since the 1880s, when we've been keeping track of all this, all the others have happened since 2002. The warmest ever, 2014. I don't care what you believe about what's causing global warming. If you don't believe in global warming, you've got your head in the sand. It is happening. What about the global superstorm? So if you've ever wanted to read some speculative fiction, you should read about the global superstorm. That is the thing that happens when the earth warms in such a way that the stratospheric cold air comes falling to earth. It's one of the speculated reasons that we might find mammoths in Siberia with daffodils still in their mouth, which we do. So something happened that flash froze the earth in the past. And the theory is that global warming caused such a difference in storm patterns that you can get this massive freezing. Well, if you don't want to believe that, and, you know, five or six scientists do, uh, you can believe in the fact that the global currents are probably going to change. If you've enjoyed living in England because of its nice warm climate, because of the current that comes up from the south, get over it. You better start looking at Iceland, who's going to get warmer, because you're going to be living like they used to because of the shifting of the ocean currents. How are we feeling now? It really brings us to the point, you know, really you need to go online and start uh, looking at things like survivalists. Oh, no, that's the bad word now. It's preppers. And what they get ready for. So I, I'm going to ask them to bring up the slide. Have you seen this word? Teotwaki. The end of the world as we know it. It's coming, folks. I don't know when, but it's coming sometime. What are we going to do about it? Let's go to the next one. When it all looks like that, what should we do? Well, the first thing is take a look at the book that usually gives us the answers. So if you really want to impress your friends and family, tell them that you sat down for about half an hour, read through a book in the Old Testament. I recommend the book of Haggai. It's got two chapters. And it's our text today. It's a really good one. It's nice and easy. And it's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible because to me, now, I'm a simple guy. And when I look at the Bible, it seems like God's people really screw up. God gets mad at them. They kind of come around. He blesses them and then they screw up again. Or they never listen to him in the first place. And then he has to get really mad and send them off and cause all kinds of trouble. Haggai is one of those books where Haggai was a prophet came to the leader, said, hey, we got a problem. The people said, yeah, you're right, we do. And they responded, and everything was good. It's a nice little book. So if you'll recall, or not, the Israelites had really been scattered throughout um, the known world at the time, taken away from their homeland, put under foreign rule, uh, really not allowed to be a people anymore. They were in exile. And when they finally were allowed to come back to Palestine and begin to establish themselves, they did. 
But they were a bit of a broken, scattered, hurt people. And really, for the first while, they spent a lot of time making sure the homestead was rebuilt, getting crops put in, taking care of things. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say they totally ignored God. They actually did make a try. They, they laid the foundations for the new temple. But that's about as far as it got. I'm reminded a little bit of the seniors' housing that was supposed to go up there on Main Street that continues to look like a concrete monstrosity. That was the temple. And finally God said, you know, people, hello, I'm the one that brought you back. Maybe you should be paying some attention to me. And Haggai brought this to the people's attention around 520 B.C. And you know what? Within a month, they had decided they were going to start to work. And they rebuilt the temple. Haggai calls the people to account for again ignoring God, and they start to pay attention. And there are some messages that I want to get across from that book. Now, I'm not going to read the whole book to you, short as it is, because I think you're capable of that. You're also capable of looking up the scripture readings in your bulletin if you're interested. What I am going to say is that we're not in this alone. The prepper or survivalist mentality that has become all the rage is because people look at what the world is going to look like in a while if nothing else is done, and they don't know how else to respond. And the reason it went from being survivalist to prepper is because most people realize it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to survive the end of the world as we know it. So, what do we do? Well, we need to understand, first of all, that we're not in it alone. There's almost an eagerness, isn't there? among some uh, survivalist preppers for the end of the world. Because I'm ready, and the rest of you aren't. So I'll flourish, and the rest of you won't. Well, i got news for you. There may be a fortunate few who survive, but nobody's going to flourish if all the things happen that people are worried are going to happen. The second thing that Haggai tells us is we cannot do it on our own. We're not in it alone, and we can't do it on our own. Reality check. This cursed earth, the earth that has been marred by sin, the way it is going, any upheaval is going to be awful. It's going to be widespread, and it will be no respecter of how much preparation you've made. Now, I I do want to take a step aside and say, there is nothing wrong with being ready for a minor disaster. Um, Have a generator in your house for the ice storm. Have some food set by. In fact, you know, most governments around North America now say have 72 hours worth of food and or supplies ready at any given time. Uh, In 1999, August 11th, there was a tornado in Salt Lake City. Now, those of you that know anything about the Latter-day Saints know that they are ready if there's a disaster. Most of them try to have a year's supply of food in their house. And certainly, if you want to see how a city should be ready for emergency management, Go check out the Salt Lake City, Utah website. They are ready. August 11th, 2000, or pardon me, 1999. Tornado came through, widespread destruction. FEMA was mobilized. FEMA, you know, the Americans Federal Emergency Management Agency. They were mobilized and they showed up two days later to an already taken care of problem because Salt Lake City was ready. And they jumped into action, and they had everything cleaned up, tidied up, people taken care of, emergency shelters set up, all the uh, fallen down trees chopped up and put out in the sidewalks for people to take for firewood. They were ready. There's nothing wrong with that. 
It's just not going to stop the end of the world as we know it. The final thing that I think the message that comes out of Haggai that I want to to talk about a little bit is that there's a plan. Now, some of you are going to start to notice in the minutes ahead. I think I've heard this a bit before. I don't know. I'm a big reader and I love uh, reading trilogies because that means I actually can read for more than a couple hours because the book will be done, right? So I read the trilogy and then the author comes up with another trilogy set in the same time but from a different point of view. So for you that were paying attention two weeks ago, yes, Tom did preach about something very similar, but I hope from a different point of view. We, there is this book at the end of the Bible. don't know if you're aware of it, because we've been kind of ignoring it the last while. It's called Revelation. And it has two chapters in it, verse chapter 21 22, that tells us that we're not expected to solve the world's problems. It says that God plans to make all things new when the completeness of time comes. That he, with his world-making power, remember, he started the whole business in the first place. He's quite capable. He will establish a world where God and people live together. Where Eden is once again the reality and not the past that was rent asunder by sin. He will bring down a new heaven, a new earth, a new standard of living. But Revelation also tells us that we're not exempt from expectations. I mean, after all, if God's got it all under control, and let's face it, he's a little better at this than I am, then we should just leave it to him. It's sort of like my kids. When I ask them to do a task, it's a little hard. They say, well, you could do it. Because we have to think too hard to do it. They never do that. Just because God can do it doesn't mean we're exempt from expectations. We are expected to live up to our end of the bargain as well. No, it's not necessary for us to do anything to bring about the new heaven and new earth. But that doesn't mean we just get to sit by and do nothing. Remember Haggai's lesson. Listen, people. You've been brought back out of exile. You've managed to establish your farms. You've managed to establish your houses. Things aren't going well with you. Why would that be? Probably because you've forgotten God's part in all of this. You've forgotten that we need to have a place to worship and to thank God. And the people responded, What then shall we do? What is expected of us? Well, I'll tell you this. We can't accomplish anything substantive all on our own. So the number one thing we need to do, and I think you know, the worship team has done a great job of, of focusing our minds on that in this new year, is make sure we are in line with what God wants for us, for our church community, and for the world. And I'm sorry, but there is no way you're going to get that by just sitting at home navel-gazing. You need to get into the book. You need to listen to those who have been in the book and are willing to preach and to teach. You need to spend time with other Christians sharing with one another the learnings that you get from delving into the Word of God and from the messages that he gives. I also want to point out that some of the church's problems in the past have come from people who say every answer to every problem is somewhere in that Bible. Well, that's not really true. The answers to the world's problems are in the Bible, but sometimes you're actually expected to pay attention to the Holy Spirit that's within you. 
and to use the brain that God gave you. And as we mature in Christ, I do believe that we have the capability to look at any new situation and say, what would God want done here? What would Jesus do here? So starting where you're at today, the challenge this year is to grow where you're going. Number one. And this is the thing that has become almost our motto in the church, is, first of all, accept God's gracious gift of salvation. It's hard to start a journey unless you put a foot on the road. And so the first thing to do is accept that we are saved, accept that salvation. It's a gracious gift of God, not through anything we've done. We simply need to turn to him. Once secure in our salvation, we personally should begin to strive towards Christ-likeness. We need to become the type of people that other people look at and go, that's what a Christian should live like. That's what a Christian should be like. That's what a Christian would do. Uh, we've changed our language a lot over time, but I think that one of the more interesting phrases is, that's mighty Christian of you. We don't say that kind of thing anymore. But that's the sort of thing other people should be able to look at us and go, yeah, that's, that's what I think of when I think of a Christian person, a follower of Christ. We also need to be God's light in the world. We are to be an evangelical church, reaching out to those who have not yet heard the news about Christ or for some reason have been pulled away from him and bring them back into right relationship with the Lord. We are to be God's evangelists in the world. We're also to be Christ's living witnesses to his character. Let me step aside for a second and talk a minute about why I think this is really important to talk about. Because we can get focused on one thing to the exclusion of all others. I've often thought, if God's whole purpose was to evangelize the world, why am I here so long? (laughs) Because I don't think that I'm that effective. Some of you are more effective than I at evangelism, some less. But the reality of, of things is that we live a lot longer than necessary to do the things if we just dumb Christianity down to you need to be saved. Because I got a plan. God didn't listen to me. He often doesn't with my plans. Um, My plan was, you know, as soon as people convert, God ought to just snatch them out of the world. Problem solved, right? Obviously, there's a purpose. There's a reason that we spend time on the earth as Christians after we're saved. And I think it is to grow in our relationship as Christians, to grow as Christians, to become more and more like the people God wants us to be. We're to grow up. If you look through the Bible, you'll see in several places where it talks about as Christians, once you've got through that initial stage of becoming a Christian, you're to mature in the faith. And that's a sermon upon sermon upon sermon that I'm not going to go into today because it just there's so many aspects of that. But as a Christian person, we should be growing daily, uh, becoming more like God in what we do. Most of the New Testament letters are about this. Either people, this is what you should be doing, or people, really. You should know you shouldn't be doing that. It's really about growing in the character of our faith. We're to be good stewards of what God has given us. Land, money, talents, gifts, children, people who rely on us, 
These are things God has given us that we are to be good stewards of. Um, we're to rest easy on the land. We're to be good people towards one another. And although we count on God to bring about this new reality, we must also be working towards a good fit with that new reality. I mean, really, we should all be preppers. It's just what we're prepping for. So I didn't put it up on the board, but I came up with a new uh, acronym. So instead of Teotwaki, I came up, came up with this, so you have to remember this. Teotwagpi, okay? Teotwagpi, I mean, it's very simple. <laughs> the end of the world as God planned it. That's what we should be working for. I want to bring up two images. The first is very important. Let me bring up the waterfall there. There's no reason for that. I just like my waterfall. The second one, though, is, is the more important one. Behold, I make all things new. And it's an organic new. It's a growing new. The new people, new bodies, new earth. That's the end of the world that we should be planning for. Revelation 21 tells us that all things are not renewed, but made new. And so as people facing our day-to-day lives, wondering what should we be doing as Christians, we should be growing in maturity, we should be growing in Christ-likeness, we should be growing towards that end. Thank you.